Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, today we start a brand new series of messages entitled Help is Here. I want to talk to you this morning about the announcement that changes everything. The announcement that changes everything. Our theme for this month, for this Christmas season, is one simple word, and that's the word help. I'm sure that you've been, if, like, if, you've been, if you're like me, you've been in a situation before where you just needed some help. You were struggling with something or maybe in a situation you couldn't extrapolate yourself from and you needed somebody or something to come along and assist you so you can move, be, move beyond where you were to where you needed to be. And it's a wonderful thing when help shows up in our lives. And Christmas really is all about God stepping into our world to help us. That's really the story of Christmas. And God announced this help to the world in a very unique way to a very unique group of people. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is the announcement of help that came to our world. And we're going to take a look in just a moment at Luke chapter 2 and this amazing announcement of the birth of Jesus. But there are three things we're going to look at together that I think will help us as we focus our attention on Christmas this year. The first thing I'm going to talk about here for a few moments is the fact that God's news is always good news in our lives. One of the, I think, missed messages of the Bible and oftentimes misunderstood messages of the Bible has to do with the nature and the character of God. Sadly, far too many people have a warped perspective of God. They sort of view God as distant or angry or somehow looking for opportunities to judge the world or make people's lives miserable and nothing could be further from the truth. When you study the pages of Scripture, you begin to see a good God who infuses our world with good news. In fact, the whole message of the gospel, the word gospel, as we'll talk about more in a few moments, is the message of good news to us. And so Scripture teaches us that our God is a good God, and our good God has good news for our world. Not bad news for our world, but good news for our world. I could take you to many passages in the Bible, but I will give you just simply one today from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord. He gives us a reason for giving thanks, for He is good and his love endures forever. So it defines for us or establishes for us the nature of God as being a nature of goodness. God is a good God and he always expresses good news to people. And over 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, there was a very special announcement that came to the world of the goodness of God. And this announcement came at a very unique place. It came to a field outside a small village named Bethlehem, very near Jerusalem. If you've studied or been over to Israel, you will realize that Jerusalem and Bethlehem are very close together in terms of proximity. About six miles separates them. And the video footage that you see on the screen right now is actually the shepherd's field in Israel where I've been multiple times. And in fact, you'll see in a moment, I'm teaching at that moment right in that place. And, and just a bit, you'll see as we, we pan down into the valley region, shepherds even to this day taking care of sheep there, tending their flocks. 
And what we know about this particular group of shepherds to whom this message is given that we'll read about in just a moment, these were shepherds who were likely taking care of the sheep or the lambs that were destined to go to the temple in Jerusalem for sacrifice. The sacrificial lambs would be placed on an altar and their blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. So they're caring for these lambs that are headed for Jerusalem and for the temple. Now, this place called Bethlehem, although it was a very small little village, it had been spoken of hundreds of years earlier. It was destined for greatness. And in fact, the prophet Micah, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, talks about Bethlehem and the coming events that will transpire there. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're small, you're just a little village among the clans of Judah in the southern part of Israel, out of you, out of you, Bethlehem, will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from, from of old, from ancient times. So hundreds of years before Christ was born, there's this announcement through the prophet Micah that Bethlehem, you've been chosen by God. From, from your place, your location, will come a ruler of Israel. And that brings us now to Luke chapter 2, where these amazing events, this announcement transpires on this very, very momentous night that we see here in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. These verses are going to be on the screen for you as I read them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to whom to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. No one can overstate the importance of what we just read, the importance of this particular event. This moment was the fulfillment of a prophecy, and you'll see many prophecies being fulfilled at this point in time in history, and many more that will be fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus. In fact, some scholars believe as many as 300 prophecies are fulfilled, not only in the birth of Jesus, but in his, in his ministry, his life, his ministry, his death, and in his resurrection. And so this is a very momentous time. It's a moment when prophecy is being fulfilled. And in that moment, in this particular moment of time, God sent an angelic host to make Make a birth announcement. It's a moment that we are experiencing or we're receiving the most important message to the entire world. The angel said, this message is a message of good news. I'm breaking into society with some good news. And what was 
the good news. Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, as we read a moment ago, tells us what the good news was. Today in the town of David, notice this, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's the essence of the good news. That the Savior has come, help is here, the Messiah has arrived. The Savior, the Messiah, has come. Let's talk for a moment about those two words because this is the good news. This good God from heaven above declares through the angelic host, I have good news for you. A Savior has been born. What is a Savior? A Savior, very simply defined, is one who saves, is one who rescues. If you're drowning in the ocean or drowning in a swimming pool or you're in a lake and you're drowning, you're wanting someone that can come in and save you. They can rescue you because you're drowning. You're, you're losing your capacity to sustain life. And so a savior, a lifesaver shows up and helps you in that moment. Many of our first responders who are going out in the very difficult circumstances they find themselves in in our society are saving lives many times. That's what a Savior is. But this is not a Savior with a lowercase s. It's the Savior with a capital S. It is the Savior. A Savior has been born. Now, the shepherds understood that Israel needed a Savior. They got it. They understood that. They understood that Israel needed a deliverer. But at the same time that they understood it, they also misunderstood it. Because although they understood that Israel needed a Savior, their misunderstanding had to do with them wanting and desiring a political Savior. They were looking for someone who would throw off the oppression of Rome and free them from the daily struggle they had living under the Roman emperor. And so they were looking forward to a time that they would, quote, be free as a nation. But God comes and says, I have a savior for you. But they failed, at least initially, to understand that their need for a savior was a need for deliverance from something far deeper than political oppression far deeper than just circumstantial oppression. They needed a Savior that would deliver them from the most serious oppression of all, and that's the oppression of sin that every human being struggles with, is afflicted by, and experiences in our lives. We all are sinners who fall short of the glory of God, and we all need a Savior to save us from our sins. So there in that moment, although the shepherds thought they understood, only, they would only understand more fully as the ministry of Jesus progressed, but the angel didn't stop in saying he's the Savior. He said he's the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting on. He's the one that the prophets have spoken through about all throughout the centuries. And in essence, the good news announcement is just simply this. The Savior is here, and that means divine help is here. And everything will be different from this day forward. And in fact, everything has been different from the day forward of the moment that this announcement came to the shepherds in Bethlehem. It divided history in two. Because from that time forward, we speak of B.C., before Christ, and A.D., the year of our Lord. And so the coming of Christ Entering into our world with good news separated history. The most important event that has ever occurred in humankind. Here's the second lesson that I want you to learn today that we're reminded of from this story. And that's that God's good news is for 
It's for everyone. It's for everyone. You know, some people have a really hard time receiving good news. Have you ever met a person like that? Maybe you're like that. It's hard to believe that anything good could ever happen to you. And maybe even when you hear good news, you tend to sort of counteract the good news by expecting something bad to happen. It's good right now, but something bad must be on the way. And there are a lot of people that are like that. They have a hard time receiving good news. And what I want you to see is that good news is not good unless you believe it. Good news is only good if you actually accept it. And once you believe it, it has application to your life. It changes everything inside of you, your emotions and your way of thinking and your way of living. Now, in this moment, there were a particular group of people who received this message. And, of course, we know that group of people were the shepherds who were taking care of their flocks by night. They're in that field outside of the village of Bethlehem. So the focus of the message, the first announcement of God's sending his own son into our world came to this group of shepherds. Quite unusual if you really understand something about the shepherds because shepherds back in those days were considered to be despised individuals. Oftentimes, they're the outcast of society. They're they're thought of as people who are untrustworthy. In fact, many times a shepherd would not even be allowed to testify in court because it was not believed that they would ever tell the truth. And so there's a lot of questions about their character. They're considered to be unclean. But God says, I'm bringing my message into the world. And the first people that I want to hear about my message are those that everybody thinks are unworthy of the message. I'm going to come to those who... Everybody else says, you know what, they don't deserve it, but I'm going to bring my message to them first. I can only imagine being a shepherd there that night and experiencing all this glory, an amazing moment where the angels are singing and declaring glory to God in the highest. And I'm, I'm there, I know I'm a shepherd, okay? I know that everybody else looks at me as an outcast and People look at me as unclean, and people think of me as being someone that's untrustworthy, and asking myself perhaps the question, why would God speak such an amazing message to someone like me? And perhaps you've thought that in your life as well, because all of us have a tendency, as the shepherds perhaps would have had the tendency, to disqualify ourselves, to think, you know what, good news is, is wonderful, but it's never really for me. It's good news for somebody else, but I'm not sure if... I can really believe it for myself. And we, we have this tendency to disqualify ourselves based upon our past sins and our past failures. God, you, you certainly couldn't have anything good to say to me because I've been, I've been a horrible mess. My life has been wrecked by my own choices. And maybe some, sometimes you're feeling disqualified by, by your social status, by where you are in the social structure of the world around you. Or maybe you, you have a very extreme dysfunctional family background. You say, well, God certainly couldn't speak good news to me. Maybe you're very insecure in your own self-identity and your, your own worth. And oftentimes we have a tendency to disqualify ourselves and say, you know what? God couldn't really speak to me. Here's what I want you to see very clearly in this passage. Notice again what happens here. But the angel said to them, who's who's the them here? Help me out. Who are they? They're the shepherds. So the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Don't disqualify yourself and be afraid. I bring, what's the next pronoun here? You, referring to the shepherds. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy, not just for you, but for all the people. Isn't that amazing that God spoke directly to the group that was in front of him at that moment and says, I'm talking to you, but I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. This message is for you, but it goes beyond you to any and everyone who will hear and receive the message. So there in that moment, they're able to experience the beauty of this personal communication from God and recognize that God is bringing them in to his fold and bringing them into his understanding. And yet at the same time, recognize it was not just for them, it was for everyone. And what I want to remind you of today is that you're not excluded either. You're included in the good news message. This message of good news is for you. There's no one who is too far gone. There's no one who is too messed up. There's no one who is too distant from God right now. There's no one who has too many strikes against them or has too many bad genes in their life. There's no one who is too dysfunctional or has too many addictions. There's no one who, in fact, has too many failures in their life to be able to experience this good news message that God has for each and every one of us. It's for every social class. It's for every socioeconomic group. It's for every race. It's from any person and every person, no matter what your background might be. It's for the pretty people, and it's for the not-so-pretty people. It's for the smart people and for the not-so-smart people. It's for the popular people and the not-so-popular people. Amen? Okay. It's for the wealthy people and the rest of us. His message is for all. The Savior has been born. I'm going to give you one other verse here before we go to our third point today because I want you to hear the summation of this in Scripture. What's the last book of the Bible? Does anyone know what the last book of the Bible is? The book of Revelation, right? And so God brings this whole story from Genesis to Revelation and he comes to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And I want you to see what he said to all of us. The spirit and the bride say, come, come. What does this mean? Come to Jesus. Come to faith in Christ. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the messenger of the gospel, who is the one that draws people to Christ. What's the spirit of God saying in our world today? Come, come, come to Jesus. Who's the bride? We're the bride, the bride of Christ. And what's the message of the church? The message of the church to the whole world around us, to our communities. Come, come to Jesus. He accepts and will receive anyone who will come to him. He can change and transform anyone's life. No one's disqualified from this message. And so the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears this say, come, let Anyone who is thirsty, come, let anyone who desires drink, desires drink freely from the water of life. What word have I circled three times in this passage? It's the word anyone, anyone, anyone. So the same message that was given to the shepherds when Christ was born, this message is to all, is concluded in the book of Revelation with the very same message. This message is to anyone and it is to everyone. Here's the third thing I want you to see today. Help us here. God's good news brings supernatural changes to people who hear and believe it. 
That's key, hear and believe. Why was this message such good news? Well, it was a message, as I've already mentioned, that help us here. That finally help has arrived. The divine help is on the scene. A Savior has been born. The Messiah is here. It was an announcement of a new work in the world. God said, I'm working in the world now in a way that's fulfilling prophecy. And God has always been at work in the world. That from the time of creation, God has never given up on humanity. From the time that Adam and Eve sinned against God and and turned their back on God and, and resisted God's command, God has been at work redeeming and moving toward this moment in time when Jesus would come and his ministry would be would be fulfilled for you and for me. And so God has been at work in the world reaching out to people. Why? Because God loves people. And so the whole story of the Bible is the story of God reaching to people. We see it unfolding in stages. We see it with the call of Abraham. After the sinful time that God destroyed the world through the flood, and of course there's a rebuilding through Noah and his family, and then ultimately God speaks to a man by the name of Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. Of course, Abraham ends up with the son Isaac, and then Isaac, Jacob, and then we have the 12 tribes of Israel, and a nation is formed, the nation of God, the people of God, the nation of Israel is formed. They end up in slavery for 430 years. Moses is raised up as a deliverer, and God brings them out of slavery across the Red Sea, and then he leads them to Mount Sinai, where there's then the giving of the law through Moses. And there's this moment where God says, now I want you to know who who I am and what I'm like, and I want you to know what holiness is all about, so that you'll be face to face with your own sin. The law is given just to make us aware of the fact that we can't obey it, okay? We can't keep it. We need a Savior, okay? And so the giving of the law was to be a a, a prompter to help us to understand how much we needed a Savior, and so there's this moment. And then, then following the giving of the law, there's all of this history of the Old Testament where we have the times of Israel's prophets and priests and kings and the promise of a coming Messiah. And so as you read the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again the prophets and the priests and the kings and all of those, all the activities of the Old Testament are pointing toward the promise of a coming Messiah, the promise of a coming Messiah, the promise of a coming Savior into our world. It's pointing to the reality of this moment that we just read about just shortly, which leads to what we just read about the birth of Messiah, that Christ comes into our world. God takes on human flesh and enters our world. What an amazing thought that God says, I love you so much that I'm going to actually step into your world. I'll send my only begotten son into your world and the word of God will become flesh and will dwell among you in sinless perfection to redeem you, to save you, to help you and to rescue you and because you cannot rescue yourself. And there's then the birth of Messiah entering our world. Then, of course, the earthly ministry of Jesus, the Messiah, for three and a half years. He teaches, he ministers, he heals, he delivers, he does incredible works to prove that he was who he said he was. And then we find him in this very moment of his passion, the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus, the Messiah. There's a moment in time when he said, I'm going to fulfill what I came to fulfill. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to take the sins of mankind upon myself. Every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed, I'll pay the price for it. I will sacrifice my life as the Lamb of God slain for the forgiveness of the sins of all the world for all of those who will believe in me. See, Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. Jesus gave his life for our sins. 
He gave his life for our sins. You must understand, they didn't take Jesus' life. It wasn't just a group of evil people that took the life of Jesus. Jesus could have called down a host of angels and been delivered from the entire situation. But Jesus laid his life down sacrificially to say, I will take the penalty for the sins of the whole world upon myself. It was sacrificial. It was substitutionary. That is, he took my place and he took your place. We deserve to die. That's why this message is so very important. And then there was this moment three days later when Jesus came up out of the grave again. And you and I must understand, this is the heartbeat, the essence of Christianity. Do we believe that Jesus is alive? Do we believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Because if we don't believe that, then the gospel has no power. But we know that our Redeemer, our Savior, is the one that death could not hold. Death could not capture him and keep him in the grave. Because of his power, he rose victoriously. So the message that we have is a message that... Our Redeemer lives, and He lives forever. And I'm as sure that Jesus is alive as I am sure I'm standing on this stage today. I'm as sure of that. And if I had time today, I I wish I could take you through all the reasons I believe in the resurrection. But I'm telling you, there's tremendous proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the living Savior. And that makes Him different from anybody else, anyone who's ever lived. Show me someone that came up out of the grave by themselves, okay? History only shows us one, and his name is Jesus. He arose from the grave. Now, this is the story. And then 40 days later, after his resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and 40 days later, he leads them to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Across the Kidron Valley, he goes up to the Mount of Ascension, He's taken up into the clouds. They watch him go into the clouds. And there are angels that attend that moment as well and look at the disciples and say, you don't need to stare into heaven because the, the same Jesus that came from heaven is coming back again in the same manner. And he rose to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And then after his ascension, 10 days later, there was the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. What an amazing moment. Read about it in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came into that upper room in Jerusalem and came like mighty torches of fire and tongues of fire and set upon the head of the 120 believers there and the church was lit with the fire of the Spirit of the living God. They spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem and Peter preaches a message and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and we see this early church beginning to be birthed in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. People, the believers of God, coming alive in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when this happened, as we've talked about recently, that set in motion the last days. Because, in fact, that was the prophecy of Joel in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so now we're living in the last days. What last days are we living in? I don't know which last days we're living in. Is the last of the last days? I don't know. I'm telling you, it's. More last days than it used to be. Okay? Amen? And tomorrow will be more more last days than it used to be. Okay? But we're living in the last days and the season of time when we need to get to the world the same message that you and I have received. There's good news for our broken world. Amen? Amen? The church, please listen to me. This is not in my notes, but I want to say it because I want you to hear it today. 
The church needs to be a messenger not of bad news. The church needs to be the messenger of good news to a broken world. Amen? There's, there's far too much bad news in our world. If we're not careful as believers, we can fall into the pattern of mouthing the bad news. Oh, this is bad, and that's bad, and that politician bad, and, well, that one's worse, and we fill in all the blanks there, and everything's bad, 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 bad. Let me tell you something. In the midst of all the badness, there still is a good news message that God has called us to proclaim until this happens, until Jesus comes back again. Amen? Okay. And there will be a second coming of Jesus. There will be a time when the trumpets will sound and Christ will return. And in that moment, we'll be caught with him. And the dead in Christ will rise. And there will be this amazing second coming of Messiah, which will then set in motion the final judgment. And the final judgment will happen. And that will be the moment where two things will occur. The books will be opened and then the books will be closed. The, books, the, the book of life will be opened and all those whose names are in the book of life will spend eternity, as I'll mention in just a moment, with our Savior and our Redeemer and those whose names are not in the book of life. Those names are closed off for separation from God for all eternity. But there will be a final judgment. There will be a moment when justice will finally be done in our world. The judge will establish final judgment and justice. And then for those who are followers of Christ, and I love this, there will be a, the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. And that establishment will be with Jesus, our Messiah, our King, our Lord. And he will rule and reign over all of his redeemed children who have trusted him as Savior. I'm looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Aren't you? Okay. And let me tell you something else. Are you hearing me today? Anybody hearing some good news this morning? Okay. Are you hearing some good news today? In the new heaven and in the new earth, you're going to have a new body, okay? You're going to have a new body, okay? That old knee is not going to hurt like it used to, okay? Your migraines are going to be gone forever. Cancers will be dissolved for all eternity, amen, okay? All those things that we struggle with under the curse of a broken world, will now be in a new age, the age of the new heaven and the new earth, and we will rule and reign with Christ forever and forever. This is the good news. It's not just one little moment in this story of shepherds out in the field. No, it's the setting in motion of the most amazing events of history leading to this final moment in our lives as well. Now, here's the key question for you. Are you ready for all this? Here's what I want to talk to you just for a moment from my heart. I want you to listen really closely today because perhaps what I've said before is not going to be any more important than what I'm going to say right now. It would be really a terrible shame for you to hear the good news and never believe it for yourself. It would break my heart as, as a pastor to stand before the Lord one day and to see some of you that are walking by and you sat in church maybe even attended church regularly, maybe even served, but you never met Jesus in a personal way. You know, you can go to church and not be saved. Did you know that? Are you hearing me this morning? You can go to church and still not know Jesus. There are millions of people today that will go to church that don't know Jesus, don't have a personal relationship with Jesus because it has to be personal. That's important. 
It's not just enough to say, well, it's great about the shepherds, and yeah, it's great, it's wonderful, but it has to be personal for you. And my question to you today is, have you received this message of the gospel personally? Has the good news come to you? Have you received the Savior in your life? Not just a Savior, but the Savior in your life. In fact, the Apostle John writes about this in the Gospel of John. He talks about people who did not receive him, but then he talks about those who did receive Christ. Yet to all who did, notice this, receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I remember the time in my life, and I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again very quickly here. We're, we're just about done. I remember the night in my life when I accepted Jesus. I was seven years old. And I was laying in my bed one night, and I, I just couldn't go to sleep. I'd raised in church. My dad was a pastor, and so I'd heard plenty of messages by that time, okay, because we were in church all the time, okay, Sunday school classes and so forth. I heard about the gospel, but I'm laying in bed, seven years old, and I couldn't go to sleep because I kept asking myself the question, am I saved? What would happen if I die? What would happen if Christ came back? Am I ready for that? And I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit down inside saying, you need to get your life right with God. Seven years old. Now, I had not done any major crimes at that point in time. Okay, okay. But I was still a sinner that needed a Savior. And I remember crying out to my dad, Dad, could you come into the room? I need to talk to you. I'll never forget my father coming into the room and I said, Dad, I want to be saved. And he got his Bible and he walked me through the book of Romans and Romans 3.23 and Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23 and Romans 10.9, 10 and 13. If you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And my father led me into a, a prayer that night where I opened my life to Jesus And I can go back to that moment in time and know that night, as a seven-year-old boy, my name went in the book of life, okay? My name went in the book of life. Here's, I'm not telling you that story to celebrate me. I'm asking, I'm telling you the story to ask you today. Is your name in the book of life? Not just, hey, the shepherds heard that. What an amazing man. Oh, we love Christmas. It's awesome. No. Have you received the Savior yourself? And if you've not received him, don't reject him. He is the risen Savior, the coming King. And today, today can be your day to receive him in your life. It changes everything. It changes everything. It puts you on a whole different track of loving God, not because of the works you do, because of a heart that's been changed inside. See, one more thing I want to say. I'm going to be done. Works will not save you. Being a good person is not going to get you to heaven. Did you know that? It won't get you to heaven because you can never be good enough to be perfect. And so if you want to work your way to heaven, you've got to be perfect because that's the only way you'll get there. And that's 
by being as perfect as God is. That's, that's the only acceptance. Jesus was perfect. That's why he is our Savior, because our faith is in him. And he gives us the gift of his righteousness that allows us in. Okay? So that's how I go, not by what I've done, but by his grace. Okay? That's the difference. And so if you're saying, well, I'll just be a good person and God's going to let me in. No. What gets you into heaven is one thing and one thing only. Receiving Christ with faith in your heart and believing that he's enough. He is your Savior. And we're saved by his grace. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray today? Fathers, we've taken this time to reflect upon the shepherds in Bethlehem and the news that came to them and the application of this to our lives. We want to make sure that each one of us today, Lord, understand the importance in our own individual lives today. To remember that moment, Lord, and to be able to have that moment with you where we invite you to become Lord and Savior of our lives. And Lord, I pray today for anyone that's within the sound of my voice here in this room or at our Frederick campus or anyone that's watching online that has not settled that issue with you. God, I ask you that just like I experienced that so many years ago in that moment of salvation, Lord, I pray that today they would open their lives to you and receive you as Lord and Savior of their life. Thank you that the message is for everyone. Help us not to disqualify ourselves from it, but to receive and believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.